Sam, rank for me top three England players in your lifetime. Go. What? I can't. That's ridiculous. I can't do that. Um, I don't know. Help. Dean, help. in your seatbelts and hold on tight it's that time again yes yes it's BR Football Ranks the constantly careering coach trip of capable calcio comprehension featuring lorry loads of Liga learning bus falls of Bundesliga brain power and portions of perception packed with Premier League perspective my name is Jack Collins and I'll be your driver today subtly steering you through the soccer sphere in the only podcast putting things back in the right order I am joined as ever by the yin and yang of this podcast firstly a man who has the inside line more than Lewis Hamilton and to whom transfer rumours come to rest like those little birds on the arms of Snow White. It's Sir Scoop, Dean Jones. <laughs> Hello mate. And a man who knows exactly who his favourite American singers past and present are, Rank Sinatra and Rank Ocean respectively, is the overlord of order, Sam Tai. Alright, alright, alright. Here we are again boys and this week we've got a very special <laughs> guest interview after the main ranking but we'll get into that all in good time. First, Three absolutely scorching hot takes as ever. DJ, would you like to start us off? I would, yeah. And listen, Zinedine Zidane should steer clear of taking any management job in the Premier League. Right now, he's being linked with Chelsea. He's been linked to Man United earlier on in the season. If he comes to English football right now, his reputation will be torn apart. Now, I'm told he is tempted by the idea. He's even started to learn the language from what I'm told. But those jobs are rebuilds that totally do not suit him. Look at when he was at Madrid. I know people didn't expect him to do well there either, but he was successful because he was good at ego management, basically. Also, really helped by the fact he had Ronaldo, Modric, Bale, Ramos, Isco, Kroos, carry on and on. He's never going to get that kind of quality in a team that he walks into in England. And I saw one report that said... If he comes to Chelsea, he would like he will only do it on the terms that he can keep Hazard and also have two hundred million pounds to spend. Well, I think quite a lot of people would like that, including Maurizio Sarri, who would then be able to <laughs> yeah. uh, go out and buy like Koulibaly, Alan, uh, Dries Mertens from Napoli, and all actually the play team, Sarri yeah. Ball. yeah, all the yeah. Napoli team, yeah, and actually play Sarri Ball how he wants it because this lot aren't capable of it. Um, yeah, basically, Zidane I think would be completely exposed if he came to English football right now. So stay away. Weirdly, the actual only club that might have fitted the kind of Zidane model was Man United in that they had a lot of very talented players who weren't living up to their potential yeah, like after being stuff, unlocked. Yeah. That's maybe the only job he could have walked into and, and been able to use that ego to basically massage the squad and, and, and do what kind of like what Solskjaer's doing. So is that the kind of only one that maybe he would have been able to get away with? Yeah, I still don't think that would have been a good idea, to be honest, because I think that the other thing that Solskjaer had that worked was the whole United DNA and the fact that there was this instant connection with, with the fans. So they even before he'd played one minute of football they loved the idea where Zidane they would have taken some winning over I think I think there's a lot to be said for understanding the culture of the club that you are deployed into so Zidane already at Real Madrid and had played for them you draw the parallel with Solskjaer at Man United you also bring in Diego Simeone Atletico Madrid you understand the team Mm -hmm. you're in a good spot to make them click I do I do always wonder about this suggestion that 
this team wouldn't suit Zidane or Zidane wouldn't be able to do anything with this lot because of what you've seen at Real Madrid. That's all we have as a sample size. He's only worked with Ronaldo. We don't know what he'd be like if he was given Chelsea's team. I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but I do feel like it's a bit silly to write him off as like, no, that doesn't suit him. He could only do this. He's only had one senior management job. Yeah. Yeah, he did all right in his in his old job at Castilla as well, where he didn't have potentially the the players that he did at Madrid. But I, I think there's kind of valid arguments yeah. on both sides. I just sides. think the values of Chelsea Football Club aren't going to suit him. Uh, is you know who does take that role? Well, you know that if Sarri does end up getting sacked, who is the man that steps in? Zidane seems to be the one that's thrown around so much, but ultimately no one knows what's going to go on there. And and Chelsea are so prone to to sacking managers with no time that you know we could see the end of Sarri within the week at this point. I tell you, he's good at quick rebuilds. Is Antonio Conte? Maybe they could go down that path. <laughs> um, if not, look, the Chelsea fans are so angry at the moment. They should just go for Frank Lampard and just get on with it and try that experiment because they're going to do it at some stage. Just make it the next appointment maybe they should pick three fans from the crowd and just give them the go see what happens yeah that's the way we're going in football at the moment fans are so uh, reactive and so angry that like okay you have a go <laughs> yeah maybe maybe well I think that's a good note to end that one on Sam what's your hot take this week I've got some exciting news for you all oh go on uh, some of you are going to like it some of you are going to hate it but there is a new most entertaining team in Europe like it move over Liverpool move over City move over Dortmund Move over Real Betis. Never. Never. It's by Leverkusen. They are the funnest team on the continent. They are the most entertaining team you can watch this weekend. It's a recent development. In the winter break, they appointed the mad scientist manager, Peter Boss. Absolute legend. Has absolutely no respect for how a team should be set up from a defensive standpoint. And floods his attackers forward en masse to create ridiculous attacking football and overcommitting in the final phase and leaves his defenders out to dry. Right. What it results in is an average of three or more goals per game, <laughs> sometimes all for his team, often not, uh, a ridiculous Germany 2018 World Cup style leaving your centre-backs on the halfway line with a 100 acres to defend and nowhere else to go. Uh, and he's also moved quite a lot of his attacking wingers and attacking midfielders into central midfield to make room for more wingers and more attacking midfielders. So, How's it going for them? How are they doing since he took over? He wins most of his games. <laughs> and he lost his opening one against Borussia Mönchengladbach in a game where they lost 1-0. They were pretty unfortunate. Jan Sommer in the opposing goal made 10 saves. He was a ma- the man of the match. And you know, eventually this will crumble. We saw it happen with Dortmund. He used to manage Dortmund and he also managed Ajax and eventually that, that, sort of, that, sort of, that spell ended as well. It won't last forever, but this is a lot of fun. Havertz and Julian Brandt in central midfield. You've got Leon Bailey on one flank, Karim Bellarabi on the other. He's got a couple of good strikers. He's got attacking fullbacks. It's lots of shots, lots of goals, lots of excitement, a lot of fun. Okay, I'd like to counter this, right? Last week in the Europa League, Betis went 2-0 down within 10 minutes. They they ended up drawing the game 3-0 with an absolute wonder goal from Diego Lainez in the last minute. Are you telling me that Bosch is more of a nutcase kamikaze manager than Kike Setien? Yes, I am. Yeah. You are literally telling no, me that. No, Setien is more balanced and smarter. He, he, he's actually a better manager when it comes to balancing his side out, which is why he has sustained more success and why he manages Real Betis. 
Peter Boss tends to lose his job fairly often, right? And it's because he's really good for a bit, but then actually his faults come back to haunt him. Yes. I mean, you know, you've just compared them to Germany during the World Cup, which we all agreed was a disaster class. Absolutely. Good fun, though, wasn't it? it well, I mean, I might <laughs> have, it wasn't if you're a Germany fan. Well, I'm coming at this from an unbiased, objective angle of I enjoy watching the crazy football that Leverkusen produce under Peter Boss. Their fans I, are I, definitely loving it too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the average heart rate of a Bayer Leverkusen fan is during a game. It must be pretty high, to be fair. But I, from from my perspective, from my seat, I am absolutely loving this Leverkusen side. Yeah, I've enjoyed, they've got Dortmund at the weekend, so that is a game you should not miss. I think that that's probably one of the games of the season. Dortmund haven't won in five yeah, in the league. Yeah. Uh, are Dortmund having a wobble? Uh, they might be, yeah. I was at the yes. game last week uh, against Tottenham and um, the first half they seemed to be pretty comfortable and then Pochettino masterclass and they had no response to it. They they barely created a chance after um, after half-time, maybe one or two I can remember, but yeah. they were taught a lesson there and it was it came as a surprise to me. I don't know if you remember my predictions from a <laughs> previous... <laughs> Um, they weren't predictions. You told us you went to the future, came back and had the results. Yeah, you did tell us that. We put an accumulator on that and lost money. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you caught me out. And on that note, we'll, uh, we'll have to move things onwards a little Sorry, bit. Sorry, world. Yeah. <laughs> Dean, I lied. Dean's apologising for, for his predictions. <laughs> Those predictions were terrible. Yeah, they really didn't come to life. Anyway, so like last week, we did a poll on Twitter to determine what the third hot take should be. This week, we had three options. Uh, was Sergio Ramos wrong to pick up a yellow on purpose against Ajax, which took 23% of the vote? Uh, whether Heung-Min Son was one of the world's most elite players, which took 34% of the vote? And this week's winner, with 43% of that vote, whether Christoph Piontek and Lucas Paqueta can fire AC Milan back to be towards being a European powerhouse. So that's what we're going with. It's a good one. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it, although all three of the topics were, were interesting mm. this week. In my lifetime, Milan have gone from being one of the biggest European sides to being part of that very much second-tier group that we find the likes of Arsenal in at the moment, for example. Mm -hmm. It's a bit mad, but there are massive signs of life in the Rossoneri. Shouts out to Suso, by the way, who's basically mm. kept a struggling team competitive for the last two years yep. on his own by creating everything that was good about them. But... At the moment, there really does seem like a genuine spark of life at Milan for the first time in ages. Weirdly, it's coincided with Suso not being as good as he was. I mean, I suppose maybe the pressure's off him a little bit. Sharing that burden now, Piontek right? has six goals in his first five games. Bakioko, who wants to stay at Milan, has said that he's in love with him. Paqueta also has a goal and an assist. And Milan are unbeaten in their first five league games with the pair playing, as well as picking up a big win over Napoli in the Coppa Italia. Piontek getting both goals. Shock, horror. This side is now genuinely quite good. There's a lot of young players in here whose careers are in the ascendancy. All under 25. Donnarumma, Catrone, Kessie, Castellejo, Caldara, Romagnoli, Bakayoko, Conti, Chalhanoglu, Suso. All 25 or under. And the two players that have come in have really, really energised this side. I think this Milan side is going places. Here's my issue. Go on. Both of these players are so good, they won't be at Milan long enough to take them back to the glory oh, days. Oh, Sam. I really, don't like that take. I'm okay. really sorry. I'm really sorry. If Piontek carries on at the rate he is, and we were saying this when he was at Genoa as well, when he yeah. was scoring with like most of his shots that he took on goal, if he carries on at this level in terms of shot efficiency, he will be at Real Madrid within 18 months. 
and therefore he can't lead Milan back to the glory days because he won't play for them anymore. And it sucks, but this is called a pecking order in football. Paqueta, as we know, I also really like. Rated him as one of my top five transfers of the January window. He's not getting as much hype at the moment because Piontek has been so obviously brilliant. But Paqueta is also superb. Yeah. And like, there is a legitimate chance that these two players won't be around for that. And... I'm really sorry, Milan fans. Like, if they stay, like, yeah, they're on the right track, absolutely. And I love the fact that the side has been diversified. They're not as reliant on Suso any longer. It's just about how long this lasts. Mm, it's a good point, to be fair. Uh, but they have got them for now. They will have them for next season. So let's look at the short term. Um, they've got a great chance to make it back into the Champions League this season. They can get in there. They can even get one over on Inter, which is going to make that even more special if they manage to uh, make it in. And Piontek is unbelievable like anyone that's followed my twitter knows that i'm kind of obsessed with him at the moment and sam's right he is going to get snapped up because nobody else in europe is kind of showing this efficiency in front of goal he at the scores moment. mad goals his first goal at, yeah, the at the weekend was just an unbelievable finish um and what basically milan need to do is if make you haven't the most seen that goal moment. by the way go on the internet and look it up yeah, it's press absolutely pause. outrageous um, but and Milan can make the most of this moment because there's going to be players around the world now looking at Milan and thinking, I like that. I know Sam was talking about Bayer Leverkusen, the most exciting team in Europe right now. Milan aren't too far behind and there's going to be players who are going to be linked with moves, touted for moves to Milan, thinking, actually, yeah, I wasn't interested a year ago in going to Milan, but I am definitely fancy some of this now. Gattuso's changed the vibe. I've seen people like Hector Herrera, Yannick Carrasco being linked. Listen, get them on board. You can convince players right now to come and be part of this project. And next season could be really, really special for Milan. If next season, you know, we've said that they're going to stay for, for at least one more season. Mm-hmm. If next season AC Milan were to win Serie A, would that be an in, you know an indication that they can rise back to the top of the... Or would that make them immediately one of Europe's powerhouses again? If they were to win their they domestic league? They won the Serie A. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so that's, that's we, basically we, there is an option here that this this could happen as soon as next year. If, if this Milan side reaches its potential in the kind of at the right time, which is absolutely not unheard of, and especially not with these players, a lot of them around twenty four, twenty five, they could all hit peak simultaneously. And if they do that, there's a very good chance they could run Juve for the title. If they beat Juve to the title next season, they will have returned officially to the great yeah, status. that takes them doing over the course of a season to beat Juve to that title is going to be absolutely unreal. So, so there we are. My answer to the, the question, yes. my hot take, is that yes, <laughs> Lucas Paqueta and Christoph Piontek can fire AC Milan back to the top table. By winning Serie A next season. By winning Serie A next season. <laughs> okay. Or getting to a latter stage of the Champions League. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Fine. Done. <laughs> right. That's, that's hot takes wrapped up for today. After a break, we'll be back to rank our main rankings, which is just us three for for the first time in a long time. Sam, do you want to quickly explain what the rankings are? Yeah, we're actually going to do a... Well, it's a triple ranking, isn't it? I guess, it is. I'll, I guess I'll start it off. But we're talking uh, players we would absolutely hate to play against. I'm going to take three attackers. Jack's going to take three midfielders. And Dean's going to take three defenders. We're going to run through each position. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it is time for the big rankings. But this isn't your only ranking this week, Sam, is it? You've got a primetime television slot, so I hear. Yeah, I've got a special ranking coming up this week. For those of you listening in the US, residing in the US, I will be on the Bleach Report Turner Champions League show 
on Wednesday for Atletico Madrid versus Juventus. And I'll be detailing three things to look out for or three keys to how the game is won. So you're getting a bit of a, well, you're getting a double dose of me. If if, if you're a fan of that, great. If you're not, well, hi, sorry. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Yeah, exactly. Well, you'll be on TNT, will you not? I will indeed, yeah. Pre-match show, so anywhere between in the first hour before the game. So make sure you tune in from right from the very beginning. Exactly. Well, let's get on with our ranking, where we're going to be ranking the players that we would hate to play against. Sam, you're going to start us off by doing attackers, so let's get into it. Yeah, okay. And in at number three, uh, slightly out there, I guess, is Jamie Vardy. I would hate to play against a player who does not stop moving in the way that Jamie Vardy does. In particular, the channel runs that he makes, like 20 to 30 times per game, he just bolts into the channel. And speaking of someone who played uh, centre-back, uh, at Sunday league level, I can attest. I can attest to what the professional pundits say when they say that's the worst type of striker you can play against. The guy that never stops removing and the guy that runs in behind because it just kills your legs. Like your hamstrings are tight, your quads seize up. After a while, you're just completely done. And obviously, if you take your eye off Jamie Vardy for one second, he's in behind you, he's gone, and he's a good finisher as well. I appreciate he hasn't had his best season, but he's still on eight goals in, what, 18 or so starts. So not bad. Specifically, that 2016 iteration of Jamie Vardy, I, I can think of barely anyone worse. In fact, I can only think of two people worse. In at number two. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of that. Yeah. Talking of that. Uh, Diego Costa. Yeah. Diego yeah, Costa. I'm totally with you on that one. I think, look, honestly, I've always been fairly difficult to wind up on the pitch. I'm able to laugh a lot of things off because I don't take too much seriously. But I would back Costa to wind me right up. He would spend 90 minutes standing on your toes pinching and pulling you and pushing you, shouting at you, insulting you, besting you physically and shoving you to the I floor. I love forwards like that. It, can you, you like imagine? Them. Not yeah, playing like against them. Team, yeah. Can you imagine going up against that kind of snarling demon on the pitch? It would be just awful, awful. And yeah. all the while, he's probably bagging a brace, yeah. rubbing it in your face. It's just, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> Into number one. Well, surprise, surprise. And I do want to make a distinction here because I would love to play against Lionel Messi once to see just how ludicrously difficult it is and really genuinely appreciate how amazing he is would I get anywhere near tackling him highly likely not but once is enough no no, no. I can answer that definitively no <laughs> no I can't get near Jack on the five side pitch so never mind Lionel Messi but once is enough and I really do feel for those La Liga defenders who at least twice per season must go up against him. There must be a feeling of absolute doom in the warm-up when you're warm when you when you're preparing to play against Lionel Messi. You just know there's no way you're going to get the better better of him. He'll yeah. dribble past you. He'll skin you. He'll out sprint you. He'll play the ball into the channel and just release a runner. There's nothing you can do. I'd just be waiting for the game to finish the entire time. I do quite like this. Ref, like, how long left? Ref, yeah. How long left? Eighty nine. Eighty nine minutes yeah. and fifty five seconds. Why? Oh. But there is something to be said, like, at least with Messi, you can appreciate the kind of mesmeric movement yeah. and things like that. Whereas Costa, you just like, this is annoying. Yeah. Like, this is actually really, really frustrating. I think that would be worse because, you know, when you, when you play against Messi, you're like, you know, this is the greatest player potentially or in the planet or, or at least very much on the pitch. And you're, you're sort of looking at it like, well, there's not much I can do because there's not much anyone can do. Whereas Diego Costa, some people do 
Mark Diego Costa out of games. Like it's not impossible, which must make it even more frustrating if you're on the end of it and you can't do anything about it because you're like, this is absolutely ludicrous, and and I'm now really angry and probably going to get sent off because this guy keeps pinching me. Yeah, or, I don't, I don't, the thing is, like, obviously, every professional footballer is is at the is at the top of their game, and they all believe in themselves and they all back themselves, right? Yeah. They always do. And even though Costa and Vardy and other players like Suarez and Lewandowski are going to be really really difficult to play against. You do feel like you could do it. I feel like with do Messi, you? I feel no, not me personally. <laughs> no, not, 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 not just want to double check. Yeah. Professional defenders will, will feel like they've got a chance, or they have they they have the chance to mark these guys out of the game or deal with them over one ninety minute spell. Sure. Maybe not every single time, but with Messi, like, how must it feel for a player who has fought all his career to reach the top and back themselves and believe in themselves? just to be left feeling that there's absolutely nothing you can do. And yeah. that's why he's at the top, because of that feeling of helplessness. Good. All right, shall we, shall we move on to some midfielders? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's your, you know, there's, only, there's only so much that you can talk about Lionel Messi and be like, I couldn't stop yeah. him, nor could you, nor yeah. can anyone. Good really, player. So we crack yeah, on yeah. with it. Um, in third of my, my list of midfielders that I would hate to play against uh, is Moussa Dembele, formerly of Fulham and Tottenham, now in China, mm. with Guangzhou RNF. Nice, and that's the one. He is, he is definitely there. And just because I remember watching him and watching him sort of glide across the turf, he's one of those players that was like physical, but also unbelievably skilled, extraordinary. And, and a lot of players at Tottenham always said that he was the greatest player they've ever played with and the best five-a-side player that anyone, no one could get near him. Yeah. I just think it would be the most frustrating experience in the world because you'd be like, this guy is not only physically amazing, but he's also able to glide around me, you know, roulette wheel round my, round me, you know, all of these things. Where <laughs> the you, way he used his body, it, isn't it? It was just, you know, you weren't getting anywhere near mm. the ball. And, and I think that that's something that's quite unique, I suppose, to his game. And, and I think that had he not been beset with injuries, we would have been looking at one of the greatest players of a generation because he was that good. But I just think that mix of physicality and skill would mean like, like I can't... retired by going to China. I can't get... Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I can't get near him physically and I also can't get near him technically and that combination of things must be like yeah. well what do I do how do, how do I end this second I put Casemiro because mm. I think Casemiro is one of those players that no matter what you did like occasionally you'd get the ball and you'd get past him and then he'd kick you and every time you got the ball and you could feel him breathing down your leg you'd be like my legs could go here I could <laughs> there, there, there is a chance that both my legs will be broken yep. by the time that I come out of this challenge and that man has no mercy <laughs> No, he has no kind of switch or filter to be like I'm not going to take this bloke out if he goes past me there is there is that kind of nasty streak in him which is so you know part of why he's so good and so effective but also would be an absolute terror to play against yeah also have you noticed that he basically never gets booked for all of those yellow card challenges That's and true, yeah. am I right in thinking he still hasn't received a red card in his career constantly avoids bookings that he clearly deserves and never gets red carded when he should be never gets called for handballs when he should and then goes and scores overhead kicks yeah, now he's as, an, goals, by the way, as yeah. an opponent you must be like well he should have been sent off 60 minutes ago he can't be putting that in the back of the net he's, he's committed 55 fouls in the last 20 minutes and it must be so annoying because the referees just don't seem to notice it I don't know what's going on so I, I'm with you yeah I think I must be killer that, in number one I've put Paul Pogba uh, oh. this is Paul Pogba in, in current form or in, in form of his life form uh, and I think I was watching the, the game on Monday night between Chelsea and Manchester United and it was the sort of 89th minute and Pogba had run down to the wing and he was getting the ball and Antonio Rudiger was trying to get around him 
And there was a good like minute where Rudiger was like trying to stretch around Bogba. He was trying to get between his legs, and Bogba was having absolutely none and of Rudiger's it. Rudiger's got and some Rudiger, himself, by the yeah, way. Rudiger is a big bloke. <laughs> yeah. Like this isn't you know your average like little winger trying to get the ball off Pogba. He is a big guy. And and it was one of those things where his length of leg, I think, must be one of the most frustrating. He'll like reach around you, get the ball, and you'd be like, "That's a, stri- a stride and a half for me, yeah. more two strides maybe." And and that on its on itself must be just unbelievably frustrating. You'd be like he has no right to get the ball there. He has no right to take that down. He has no right to to be able to do the kind of things he does with the the range of leg that he does. Mm. And then on top of that, he's unbelievably strong, unbelievably skillful, can shoot from thirty yards. At, Scores headers. Scores He does everything. And you must just look at him and be like, there's just nothing I can do about this. You know, there is absolutely nothing. When he's on the ball, he's sort of doing silly things. He's winding you up. He's then dancing in your face when he scores. And and all the things together, I think it's like a combination of the two things. What's funny is you wouldn't... You'd find it hard to hate him though, because he's not a he's not a horrible person. He's like you can you know he's a nice guy. It must be frustrating because you're like I want to be his friend, but oh, he's making me look silly out here. (laughs) (laughs) He's mugging me off time and time, and and also he did another thing that I think why he goes top of this is he'd love mugging you off. He'd absolutely thrive. That little smile, like he's like giving you a wink. You know, all these things to kind of look back, be like I got you, I got you, and you're getting more and more frustrated. Then you get sent off. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and then and suddenly you just kick like, him, and then you're like, ah, oh, that was annoying. <laughs> There's nothing I could have done about it, but it was annoying nonetheless. So I like it. Paul Pogba's top. Dean says off. Right for the defenders. Um, so let's just set the ball rolling here by stating that I am five foot seven and not exactly huge um, <laughs> set either. So um, I am relying heavily on pace and spinning off the shoulder of a defender whenever I've played football so that's how I've ever scored goals is basically trying to get in go one-on-one or trying to nick bits and pieces in the box Jamie Vardy so yeah kind of like I was a better Jamie Vardy but anyway <laughs> let's carry on <laughs> I drank less Red Bull Dean's actually number four on my list yeah. <laughs> um, so at number three I've gone Branislav Ivanovic because anyone with the traits which I would have in the professional game doesn't get much joy against Ivanovic. It's like running into a brick wall. Like he doesn't have the same pace, but he knows what you're going to do. Has done it for so long now, and he's completely solid. Like you see players run full pelt towards him and kind of bounce back off him. He does not move. He just <laughs> it's just unbelievable. He's also totally fearless, and he's got this stare that he gives players. And look. I'm going to just admit, it kind of scares me. I'd be totally intimidated. <laughs> You're a TV screen and it scares you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be useless against him. Um, I'd be asking to get subbed. I'd have a fake injury. I'd be gone before half time. Ivanovic, not for me. Number two, then. <laughs> so, number two, a um, bit more predictable. I've gone with Giorgio Chiellini. Mm. Um, so, this is somebody who is also obviously strong and hard, but. It's not that that I would be so worried about with him. It's the fact that his reading of the game is just on a different wavelength to anybody else. Like, he will either read the pass that's going to come into you, so he'll nip in and and take it off you, or he'll know what you're going to do, so he'll have already dropped off two yards just as you turn to run at him, and he'll be like, okay, I'll take that now. Thanks very much. Exactly. I see so few... Players have joy against him. And I remember hearing Harry Kane talk about him. And he's like, 
I just don't know what to do when I come up against Chiellini because he always seems to do the opposite to the thing he did before, so you can never kind of get the ride on him. Um, so I think the only way really you can get the better of a player like him is to bite him like Suarez did. <laughs> <laughs> now it all makes sense. That's, now it all now makes I, sense. As I started looking into it, it's like, that's why I bit him because you just get so annoyed. You can't possibly enjoy playing a def- playing against a defender who enjoys defending as much as he does. Yeah. That, that argument also washes for Bonucci and Barzadley. Basically anyone Italian that plays the defenders yeah. in the back line. It's just a complete nightmare because if they were given the option, they'd do another 90 minutes of stymieing you with, abs- with, with no pause whatsoever. They'd really. love it. They'd, they'd love, love it. it. I was looking at Juve and Atleti defenders and I was like, I've got to just pick one of these to put in my list. <laughs> anyway, at number one, I've gone with Virgil van Dijk. Um, probably the best defender in the game on current form. Um, he would be an absolute nightmare because, for me, he's a man-mountain, so I'm getting absolutely no joy out of him physically at all. And on top of that, he's all really rapid. Like, mm. he's so fast. He's weirdly fast. Yeah. I just don't get it. Like, you see him when he plays against, like, Adama, Adama Traore. Like, he's keeping up with him. It's like, how? This bloke's the fastest player around. <laughs> and Van Dijk's making it all look so easy as well strolling along next to him as well not even look like he's breaking sweat exactly that and you can see the improvement in Liverpool since he arrived all the players around him suddenly look 10 times better that's because he's organising everyone giving everybody confidence Liverpool waited for him and played £75 million because like we don't want any other defender we're just going to wait for this one because it's going to be worth it I've actually heard from a couple of players as well that Van Dijk wears aftershave when he goes out to games, so he sprays himself. So he's also smelling really good. That would wind me up as well. So not only can you not get past him, can't get a kick of the ball, you've got him smelling of like Armani or something all around you as he just trots off with the ball. Winding me up, mate. So, yeah, Van Dyke for me, do not want to be facing him. Not just from the defensive phase in terms of like, you can't get anything out of him, you can't do your job because he's stopping you in every way. But he's also superb on the ball, yep. excellent at stepping out. And obviously, as a striker or a forward, when you're in the defensive phase, your job becomes to start closing down and to pressing and to be, p- prevent passes. He skips around you, knocks it down the wing to Robertson. Bang, it's a goal. <laughs> you were supposed to stop that. He's mugging you off this way, he's mugging you off that way. He's a nightmare. Like He makes strikers look stupid in defence and attack. That's so true. And he's got a 30-yard free kick in his locker. <laughs> I remember watching him score free kicks for fun for Celtic back in the day, and he yeah, he can just knock in free kicks. You're like, what What? What can't this man do? Also, be a even, Ballon d'Or winner, mate. Even when he like, took... Remember that shot he took against Everton where it was just... It was terrible. Yeah. It was a terrible shot in the 93rd minute. It was going way up into the sky. And somehow, what, just drops down onto the crossbar so Origi can score the goal? Like... Everything he touches turns to gold. He, every like, even his worst shot ends up as an assist. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a nightmare. So while there are views, the truth is that we basically play five aside nowadays to a good standard in mine and Dean's case, less so in Sam's. But we thought it'd be important to get a professional take on this. So we sat down with Adnan Janazai, full Belgium international, formerly of Manchester United and currently of Real Sociedad in La Liga. And we started out by asking who the toughest three opponents that he'd come up against were. First, um, where I used to play against him when he was at Southampton, I played United. Was Luke Shaw uh, was one of them. Um, obviously, Marcelo from Real Madrid. He's really good, and uh, Jordi Alba, I think. All all of them three have similar qualities. Or they are opponents that always took me to defend a lot, you know, because they were really attacking. So I think they were the toughest opponent because uh, obviously they were always trying to get me 
in my in my side of the pitch, you know. So it's it's harder for me because then you have to do the defensive job, and then to attack it's a bit harder because you obviously that you defend so much, you're gonna get a bit tired, you know. What makes it so difficult to attack and beat them? Um, I mean, you know, defensively, I'm not gonna say they are the strongest. They are the, they are the best defensively defender, you know. But um, I mean, as an attacking player like me, it's really hard to play against them because they are attacking so much that they make you they make you play in your own part of the pitch, you know. So I think that's what make you make make it more difficult. So in terms of your game, the, the thing that's hardest is basically not being able to play your own game and being forced into a role that you're unfamiliar with, right? Yes. So, you know, in terms of opponents, obviously those three are all left backs. Uh, you've come yes. up against loads of, of different players across your career. What sort of player is the one that strikes fear into you when you play against them in terms of, you know, seeing attacking players on a separate team? You know, obviously you've played against some of the best players in the world and you've played with some of the best in the world. Yes. Who, um, who comes up I against? mean, for me, for me was obviously one of them is Messi um, when we play against Barcelona and um, at the Nazard. Those kind of I suppose, inspirational figures for you in your kind of style? Or is, is it just, you know, you see those names and that's sort of like, oh, it's going to be a job to contain those today? Uh, I mean, at the, at the moment, for me, they're two, the two best players in, in, in the world, you know, uh, in terms of uh, uh, attacking, you know, attacking threats and attacking uh, everything, you know. So, But, I mean, in terms of quality of player that I really appreciate uh, when, I, when I watch him play and I think that, um, I could have similar qualities like Neymar, you know, I really like him as a player, you know, um, the way he dribbles uh, really easily uh, without forcing, you know, for me, players like this attract me a lot, you know. What's it like uh, between you guys on the pitch? So the defenders that you hate facing and the attackers you sometimes come into contact with, what's it like? I mean, the more I'm going to defend, uh, the harder it will be because I'm an attacking player, I'm attacking threats. Uh, I'm, I'm someone that likes to have always the ball on my feet, you know, uh, and yeah. uh, I don't really like uh, running without the ball. Do you know what I mean? Because it's 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 not my biggest quality, if you know what I mean. You're a full international for Belgium and, and obviously you come up against players, I suppose, that you don't necessarily play against every week. And, you know, when you play in, in a league, you start to, you know, to remember the defenders that you, you know, go up against, the ones that you know how to how to get past, the ones that you don't. But on international duty, that's a little bit different, I suppose, because you you often play against players that you wouldn't necessarily come up against. How how is it different playing in an international team than it is playing in a in a club team? I mean, first first of all, in a club team, you play you play every every game um, with your teammates, you know, yeah. and national team. You could play. Uh, you could be around uh, different players, um, new players that integrate the, the the squad, or you know different things. You know, so I mean, when you play as a club, you play already with the players that you know what they like, you know what they want to do on the pitch. You know, it's a bit different. And in the national team, obviously we have great players, but it's harder to get used to play with them because obviously you don't play with them every day. Yeah. You know, it's only a short period. Uh, with the national team and not more. Adnan, who on the pitch is an absolute nightmare to deal with? Always moaning, always whinging. There's always always one player, right, that uh, annoys you. You know, me, 
I, I never really had somebody where I, I came across like like that really if to be fair you know when I'm on the pitch I don't really think about who's getting angry or who's doing what and I, I try to do my best you know and and obviously that's why I'm trying to do I don't really look at the others you know I I'm trying to look at my first uh, at myself first and then the others uh, who's the best player you've played with Adnan can I give you two yes we'll Go take on. two Okay, Pogba and Hazard. You played in in the Premier League, and now you're now you're in La Liga. What, what's the big differences moving from league to league? Or is it you know you obviously still approach the game the same way, but stylistically, does it feel different? Does it feel different in terms of you know the the pace, the tempo of the league, all of those I things? I think a quality that I've got is that um, I always try to adapt on the part of the game. You know, I always try to adapt at the, uh, on the Premier League or. If it's La Liga or I played in in Germany too, you know, I always try to adapt. But the difference is La Liga and Premier League is really different, different, you know, because in La Liga um, players are much more technically um, agile, you know. In Premier League, it's more like duels, uh, you know, it's really intense. La Liga is also intense. If you don't have the ball, obviously you're gonna run a lot, you know. So, but I think that La Liga technically they are very, very higher than than in the Premier League. Okay, and then one last question for you. I know you're in La Liga at the moment, but the Premier League title race is heating up considerably. Do you have a prediction for which team wins the title in England? I would always wish uh, that it's Manchester United, you know, because I love this club. Uh, but I mean, this year there is. Uh, two maybe three contenders we we don't know with football it's there there is liverpool um tottenham and um and city you know so i think that it's going to be between them three yeah which so, one which one has as a man united fan i would go for for man city <laughs> fair enough fair <laughs> enough well thank you so much for your time okay thank you well thank you to adnan for taking the time to talk to us i particularly enjoyed the line as a United fan, I hope City win it. We'll be back with Bleacher Roulette and Sam's Nonsense Rankings after the break. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. We hope that you're ready for Bleacher Roulette. We're ready for Bleacher Roulette. The questions are ready. The wheel's set. Dean, give it a spin. Would you let your girlfriend or wife become your agent? Um, <laughs> I imagine this is inspired by recent events. Yeah, so Mero Icardi has obviously got Wonder working as his agent um, over at Inter Milan. Not going brilliantly right now. Um, but would I follow in the footsteps of Icardi by letting my wife um, have such a big say in my career? No, I wouldn't. No, she... One, she knows absolutely nothing about football. Uh, my wife is from America, didn't grow up watching football, so she would be no help to me at all, really. Uh, actually, one thing she was good at, though, was debate class at school, and sh- you never win an argument with her. So I might have her as like an advisor, um, just because she's really good at that. But in terms of an agent, in terms of negotiating, and in terms of deciding which way my career's heading, nah, sorry, right. Tay, not you're not you're not getting you're not the, out. You're not getting the gig, Sam. Yeah, I think Rach gets the gig. Yeah, hundred percent. She tells me what to do anyway. So like, what's the difference? She tells yeah, me where to she's work. Much smarter than you. Absolutely. Yeah. She's she's a lawyer, so she's pretty good at contract work. Um, she already works with large amounts of money between businesses. Your bank account? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As we said last week, paid to do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, um, I think she'd do a really good job. 
Uh, and I'm not just saying that because she listens. <laughs> I I would not give it to my girlfriend, but she does love football. Really, really, really she into does, football, yeah. and probably knows more about football than Sam. Um, but that said, he, <laughs> Sam's she, getting better. Today. She, yeah, well, Jack's just looking at me really nervously out the yeah, corner yeah, of his eye I'm, every time I'm he drops one. day you're just going to punch him. That's what. <laughs> it is going to come one day, and Sam's a lot bigger than me. It'll hurt. Um, that said, he's not really good at maths, uh, and oh. as an agent. You know, you do have to work with a lot of figures and a lot of numbers. And I'm not sure that on, on that it. level we'd be able to work. You know, I'd be thinking I was getting a contract for 90 grand a week. It would be nine grand a week. What a shame. We'd, yeah. uh, we'd, you know, look, that's fine. I would take that right now. I know that's what you're on. Um, but, you know, I'd take that right now. But ultimately, I, I think that if it was coming to big decisions like that, you've got to have someone who knows the figures. And I'd be looking for it. Would a you give her any account. job? Maybe put her in charge of your social media or anything like that? Jack loves social media. I do too love much. social media. Yeah, that's my, You're um, no good at it, though, are you? No, no, I'm rubbish at it, but <laughs> it's, um, it's my bag nonetheless. So what if we that. rolled like if we all, if we th- rolled all three. three of them into one? I think we'd have a serious super agent, though. Maybe that they could set up an agency. Contract law, debate, football knowledge. I think they could set up an agency. Yeah. Well, yeah. we've just come up with a really good business solution. Interesting. Yeah. Excellent. We'll, we'll have a chat with them later. Good. Let's bring that one out of the, uh, out of the podcast studio. Sam, <laughs> give the wheel a spin. Okay. If you could spend one year watching football in another country, where would it be? Good question. It's good a good question. It's a good question. Your mind immediately goes somewhere exotic, but I'm actually going to bring it back and say the fact that basically all European football is on during the daytime and the morning in North America. It's ideal. Like what? True. Just ideal. Just get it all done, and then you've got your you've got your Saturday night or your Friday night to do whatever you want. It, it's not it's not a case of taking up your entire day. Oh. That really appeals to me. That's the, time- what the question is: uh, Is that how my interpretation of the question was completely different? So was mine. Yeah, but Sam just wants to watch football on telly. That's interesting. Though. Oh, hang on. You're, I'm supposed to go into a stadium, aren't I? Yeah, I'm I'm going to to the, yeah, going to matches in a different country. It doesn't say going to matches. It just says watching football. <laughs> This is what happens when you let an Which armchair fan would you on like the to go to and watch TV on. I'm very sorry that I read the question literally. I think it's still a. I think it's still a legit it's an interesting take because I'm I'm into it. I agree. Whenever I'm in America, I'm quite happy with the fact that I've just watched six hours of football and it's just midday. Like that, that's cool. Pretty you can still go and watch MLS. Yeah, ca- could do. Yeah. I would. I think it's a really interesting and fast-growing league. Well, so that's the um, so that's the evening sorted. <laughs> the day is just all the other football. To be fair, that is that's all that's I do. Anyway. That's, that's, that's all I do. It's anyway. actually perfect answer for you, anyway. Mate. Dean, where'd you go? Um, I'm gonna. I was gonna say Spain, but I could kind of go to Spain any time. So if I'm gonna be given a year to go somewhere, I want to go somewhere where I don't know as much about their football culture. So I'd go like head to South America and like. Argentina or something because never been there you know I've watched a few games but not many to be honest um don't know that many players outside of the ones that everybody else knows um could learn loads and I would just live on steak and red wine so I just think it would be a really good life for you <laughs> yeah. they'd kill your football in career dead I think yeah, <laughs> your, your agent would be absolutely no use after yeah. that year. <laughs> I'm gonna say Japan oh because the Japanese league, Sam is actually currently wearing a J- Japan national shirt. Which Genuinely, is, which is nice. Sam is sat here wearing a Japan shirt. We'll take a picture for, for proof. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm interested, like, one, the country's amazing and it's exciting. I'd love to go and travel it and yeah. spend a year 
you know going around I've, I've only been to to two or three cities so it's not not somewhere that I've fully explored um, I, I think the football culture out there is really cool uh, obviously there's now Andres Iniesta Lucas Podolski David Villa all kicking around in, in that league so there are legends to watch but also I'm just really intrigued about how those leagues are, are developing and how they kind of compare to other leagues I've watched I'd be really interested to just spend some time there and, and kind of discover a, a new place and a, and a new league so that would awesome. be where I would go and spend spend a year I think nice one let's spin the wheel one more time Okay, this one's from FFCJCT on Twitter. He says, could the top three managers in the Premier League keep the bottom three teams up? I really like this question. <laughs> really from what like position? It. From where? Midway season or the I'm going to assume we go... From now? No, I yeah, think it's, it's too, too late, late to, yeah. especially if it's you know, Huddersfield and Fulham who do look doomed. It is a little bit late for, for anyone Let's to Let's just really set the scene quickly. Yeah, so who are the top three managers in the bottom three teams? I think the top three managers in the Premier League right now are... Guardiola, Klopp and Pochettino in terms of the table and the three teams at the bottom are Fulham, Huddersfield and Southampton. Let's say it's December. I think that's a fair shout because if you give them the whole season I think things are completely different but in December those three teams are already towards the bottom of the table and they need a revitalisation job. All three of those teams changed managers in and around that yeah. time. Yeah. So let's go. If that's who the three managers who have been Good appointed shot. yes is my, my short answer. I think they could have kept them up. There are players in all three of those teams who have performed un- in this division or at least have the capability of performing in this division and and Southampton for example I don't think are too far off right now under under Ralph Hasenhuhl who has done a really good job there in in some respects I think that they're close to, to making it out of that zone and and they probably will do in in my view of it I think that Ranieri has done a, a really poor job at Fulham and I think that Siva hasn't really had much to work with but given the time and, and the kind of depth of their squad at the time and without a window to help him he's kind of been a bit screwed over I think all three of those managers keep all three of those teams up because I think the kind of relentless pressing that you might see with Klopp would be a good thing at the bottom of the table. I think Guardiola would be able to coach a footballing philosophy, especially into Fulham and Southampton, who have technically very gifted players that haven't been unlocked this season. Mm -hmm. And I think Pochettino would just do a job with all of them. The only one I would actually think might struggle is Guardiola at Huddersfield. I was going to say, it's the only one I've got in my mind. It sounds a bit mad, doesn't it, to say that? But like, you'd think Pep could keep anyone up, but Pep at Huddersfield, like, the forward options they have, they just don't suit him. Like, he might be able to get all of the other parts of the, of the game right. He might be able to instill all his other mechanics, but the lack of striking talent will hold would hold Guardiola back in the same way that it's held exactly. both of their other managers back this season. Yeah. That's my only question mark. The other ones are all absolutely clean and clear. They are shooting out of that relegation well, zone. Well, Poch can go back to Southampton and he can turn things around there quite easily. That squad has a lot of talent, like yeah. a lot of depth in it. And, I you think know, aside from it right back. Anyway, so I think, yep, I'm going to send Pochettino down to Southampton to do the job there. Um, Klopp or Guardiola at Fulham would have done better than um, Ranieri has and it wouldn't have taken actually that much for Fulham to get out of the mess they were in if they could have just got on like a three-game winning run. That's all they really would have needed to gain some momentum and some hope of staying up. So either of those could have done the job. To be honest, you could send Pochettino, Klopp and Guardiola to Huddersfield and have like a triple management team and they still would have been doomed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's absolutely no chance they would have stayed up. an interesting point here. If you could send... You could only send one of them to each to give them the best chance of staying up. Are we sending Klopp to Huddersfield, 
because that kind of high aggression press and it was his mate who was in charge there before of course and you know so you'd think that they were used to that kind of system Guardiola goes to Fulham yep because we like him were, and we support Fulham of course but also, <laughs> but also Fulham are, had a renowned passing style before they it's changed the best fit tactically the as well <laughs> and Pochettino goes to, back to Southampton totally. which is nice a little bit of nostalgia for the lads and also just lifts them miles out of the relegation zone yeah probably the best one probably the best fits for all three yeah good sorted Excellent. Well, we just it. we've just let's get that involved. Yeah, quite. We, if we could do the that. League later. Yeah, if we could do that sharpish, that would be good, <laughs> and uh, we could all have a have a much better time. Well, we're almost out of time, Sam. What have you got for us in nonsense rankings this week? Ooh, best part of the podcast. Um, best dog breeds. <laughs> we are ranking the best dog breeds. Uh, I'd like to preface this. Com- Jack's got his head in his hands. I'd like to pre- I'd like to preface this uh, this whole conversation with an overriding initial statement there are no bad breeds of dogs there are no bad dogs there are only good breeds good dogs and very good boys okay so you're picking from a large pool of excellence and you're just picking the three most excellent there are bad owners there are bad owners you're right um joining the beach on freeze in honorable mentions is husky cocker spaniel german shepherd bernese mountain dog and Chow Chow. If you don't know what Chow Chow is, Danilo's got one and David De Gea's got one and they are awesome. But into the top three, the Toy Poodle. For an example, if you don't know, just look, just, just follow Sergio Roberto on Instagram. Yeah, this just is watch a great his, dog. Just watch his stories. Absolutely adorable, fluffy, cute. Dean's on his phone, he's not interested. The only I'm con... Pictures of dogs, mate. <laughs> I'm literally looking <laughs> only... at pictures of these dogs. <laughs> the only con here only con they do suffer from separation anxiety they do suffer from loneliness and they can go a bit haywire if you don't pay them enough attention i've got to sounds take, like me i've got to take <laughs> that into consideration when ranking them so so sergio your jo- your dog is great his dog is great sergio's is technically a red toy poodle is it different different colors different strands but toy poodle overall in at number two is the sheba i now, don't know what sheba is it's no. basically a small husky because okay. huskies are awesome, but they're Massive. so big, yeah. so energetic, and the Sheba is almost just like a, a, a domesticated, smaller version of a husky. They are beautiful, and I've actually got the official Google uh, description of their person of his of the personality: charming, fearless, alert, keen, confident, faithful. Six words I love. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. Good. I like small huskies. That's cool. a nice shout. And in at number one, I've gone more classic. Yeah. The Golden Retriever. Oh. Right, okay. Big into the Golden Retriever. Pretty sporty, always looks happy, very kind, very loyal, very trustworthy, very, very friendly. Honestly, the only, thing I can, the only thing I can say about a Golden Retriever that's even remotely negative is that like they can get a little bit smelly, but then it's a dog. Like, dogs smell. You haven't put Hulk in here. Uh, Hulk is his own breed of dog. He's Hulk. And he he tops all lists because he's the greatest dog of all time to the greatest player of all time. That's a, that's a statement of fact. And uh, is he maybe just... Have you just forgotten about I'm him? Scared or of, I'm scared of Hulk. scared of Hulk. I, I, I mean, that I just, is fair enough. You know when it's like dogs obviously slobber quite a lot. Certain certain types of dogs slobber yeah. quite a lot. And it's not, it's not nice. Hulk is so big. The ratio of dog to slobber, I reckon, I fear, would be like taking a bath. And I don't want that. No, no, you're right. You are. Well, I thought you'd want something like a bulldog because they're just they're suit lazy people because they don't want to do too much. Very laid back lifestyle they're suited to. So I thought you were going to say that, but then I guess they also have hygiene issues which you probably wouldn't want to contend with, and they're a bit noisy when they sleep, and they probably slobber a bit. Yeah, no, I don't want one. But yeah, what about French bulldog? They're nice. Yeah, French nice. bulldogs are a little yeah. bit more pleasant than normal bulldogs, aren't yeah. they? 
think of that? No. No, they didn't even get an honourable mention. <laughs> right. I prefer yeah. small dogs personally. Yeah, I do too. I'm a yeah. big fan of small dogs. Yeah. So a small fan of big dogs. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that a small French bulldog, but I do like the mini husky shout. That's the one that they're really... And Sergio Roberto's dog, look it up on Instagram. It is an absolute gem. Mm. It's a really good dog. Well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for on this week's episode of BR Football Ranks. If you've enjoyed it and you're not already, please make sure you're getting over to iTunes or Spotify or whichever podcast platform is your favourite and hit that subscribe button. You can get in touch with any of us on Instagram. Make sure you're involved in the poll, which goes out on a Monday to decide the third hot take. You can use the hashtag BRFootballRanks on Twitter to get your questions into us or, again, just hit us up individually. All that's left for me to do is to say thank you to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Special shout out to Leo Fisher, the youngest member of the rank squad, seven years old. <laughs> thank you very much to Sam Tsai. Well, if we're doing shout outs, Eric Drobny, every week interacting with us on Twitter. Thanks, bud. Is he seven years old? No. <laughs> He's a grown man. He's a grown man. Well, shouts out to the rank squad, young and old every day. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks. We'll see you next week, rank squad. <laughs> <laughs>